Today on Abounding Grace, Pastor Ed Taylor recalls a time when the people of Israel were humble before the Lord. He wonders what that would look like if it were to happen in our own land. You know, this place of humility, it's beautiful. We can't miss it. The nation is humble. I wonder what would happen in our own nation if we as a people of God would humble ourselves and admit our failures and admit our sins before him, what God could do with our humility. The enemy would still attack. Fear would still rise up. But we'd be a people in the right place with God. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You feel sorry about the way things have turned out, but only on an emotional level. True repentance begins in the mind, moves to the heart, and then gets to our hands and feet. It's admitting what God says is true, agreeing with it, and with His help, we do it. More on that in a moment, but first, let me welcome you to Abounding Grace. Today, Pastor Ed Taylor returns to 1 Samuel 7, where the people of Israel got rid of their idolatry, repented, and now we're humbly relying on God. We'll see how this led to great victory in their lives, and the same can happen to you. There are times when people misunderstand humility, see it as a weakness, but a person is never stronger, a person is never stronger than when they respond humbly before God. Let me take you through the scriptures on this topic. Would you turn over to Psalm 34 with me, and let's walk through the Bible together on this topic of humility. They're fearful, and there's an emotion, but they're also submissive to Samuel crying out on their behalf, petitioning God on their behalf. They're fasting. They're they're crying out back in verse 6 how they've sinned against the Lord. And even though they're, they're in that place of great revival and humility, the enemy still comes. You know, sometimes when we draw near to God, we think, well, you know, the enemy should just leave me alone. That's not going to happen. The closer you are, the more you draw to God, the enemy is not going to leave you alone. It's like, oh, look at Ed. He's just, he's drawing near to God. I think I'll leave him alone today. No way. The heaven, you know, heaven is rejoicing and hell is upset. As you and I draw near to the Lord. As you and I humble ourselves before God. Let's see what the Bible has to say about humility. Look at Psalm 34. Pick up with me in verse 18. I just want to walk you through the reality because I think this is a message for some of you to recognize the power of humility. It says, the Lord, this is verse 18, the Lord is near to those who have a broken heart and saves such that has a contrite spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. Look at Psalm 51, verse 17. This is the great psalm of repentance. David expressing his brokenness over his horrific sin. And look at what he says in Psalm 51, verse 17. It says, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. Turn over to Isaiah chapter 57, verse 15. 
Isaiah 57, verse 15. And while you're doing that, I'll read to you another scripture in Proverbs 29. In Proverbs 29, verse 13, it says, The poor man and the oppressor have this in common. The Lord gives light to the eyes of both. God is revealing things to both the poor man and the oppressor. And yet, notice Isaiah 57, verse 15. If you get there, I'll get there with you. It says, For thus says the high and lofty one, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place with him who has a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. Listen to this in Micah chapter 6, verse 8. It says, He has shown you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Jesus said this in Luke 14, verse 11. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. Go all the way to the back of the Bible in James. Turn with me to James chapter 4. You see, the children of Israel had a great place of humility here, even though in the midst of their drawing near to God, even in the midst of their repentance, even in the midst of their acknowledging and putting away their idols, they're afraid. They're afraid as the enemy comes to attack. They have both great strength and fear at the same time as they humble themselves before God. And James, he puts it this way in verse 9 of chapter 4. James chapter 4, verse 9. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. It was a song we used to sing many years ago. It was simply that, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord. First Peter chapter 5, verse 6, it says, Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting your care upon him because he cares for you. N- notice again back in 1 Samuel, you know, this place of humility, it's beautiful. We can't miss it. The nation is humble. I wonder what would happen in our own nation if we as a people of God would humble ourselves and admit our failures, and admit our sins before him, what God could do with our humility. The enemy would still attack. Fear would still rise up, but we'd be a people in the right place with God. Notice verse 9, back in 1 Samuel chapter 7. Look at the verbs here, the actions. Whenever I see an inspiring man or a woman of God in the scriptures, I like to look at the verbs. What did they do exactly? And so notice with me in verse 9, Samuel's here, and it says, Samuel took a suckling lamb, offered as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. Then Samuel cried out to the Lord, and then God's response is, he answered. And then God fights for Israel as the Philistines drew near to battle. We're reminded of the relentless pursuit of the enemy. Spiritual warfare is very real, and yet... God stands in the gap. Do you know you have a threefold enemy? The world, this world system. It's not the physical world. It's not the dirt and the grass or anything. That's not your enemy. Although with the kind of weeds that we got this year, the weeds are my enemy. <laughs> They're popping up and we got these aspens and the shoots. Nobody told me that I was going to have a thousand shoots in my yard, but, but that, that's not what I'm talking about. 
Okay, that's not, that, that's, I guess they're the enemy, but they're not the Bible enemy. They're just there to frustrate you. But the world system, have you noticed the world system really doesn't like God, doesn't really care about God, really doesn't promote God, seems to promote everything opposite of God, tries to make sin look attractive. I don't know if you've ever noticed, you know, if you're watching a sports event, that the alcohol commercials make it look so pretty, like it's just the best thing in the world. You know, you're just going to be, you know, and I don't know why they play them in Colorado, but I guess just to mess with your head, but there's always these nice looking people playing on the beach with drinking beer. That's not how it works. They should show them in the morning when they wake up in their own vomit. That's what they should show. When they don't know what happened and who violated them. When, when they find themselves in a place of great distress. Why? Because, man, stuff in the world will bring you under bondage. But it's not the world is our greatest enemy. You also have the devil. You know, the devil gets blamed for a lot of stuff. And, and the devil does have a way of tempting and using the world system. But too many times, you know, the, you, you'll hear, and I don't know what comedian it was years ago, the devil made me do it. The devil didn't make you do anything. Because you have a threefold enemy. The world, the devil, and the flesh. The flesh. The flesh is you and me our old sinful habits, the things we picked up in this world that we were tempted by the devil and we got really good at. And most of the problem is not outside of you. Most of the problem is inside of you. That's why you must be born again. If you attack things on the outside, like maybe you have a, just a dirty, dirty, rotten mouth. You work in an industry where that's just the language of the day and you've picked it up and, and now you love Jesus, but you find yourself, you know, just, man, the words are still coming out. And you know, you would probably never come up here and share them from the stage, but that's where you work. And, you know, you're just not, you're not walking through the building here, cussing up a storm, you know, because you're like, man, I, I don't think you, I think there's something about following God that you don't use those kind of words. You know, I don't see him in the Bible. There's, I don't, I haven't found the F word in the Bible anywhere. And, and yet on the workplace, it's just there. So you just convicted. You're just like, you know what? I, I, I think that I, I should stop talking this way. And so you make a decision. I will stop talking this way. <laughs> it doesn't work, does it? You, you can't. It's an inside problem. You know, not only that, you might be able to stop. Okay, let's say you, uh, you drop 50 F-bombs and um, tomorrow, because you made such a great comment, you know, such a great commitment, you've only dropped 30 F-bombs. So you, miss, you, you skipped 20 of them. You really didn't skip 20, did you? Because they're in your head. You're dropping F-bombs in your head. Yeah, you didn't say them. That's a great beginning. But what you really want to be is delivered from even responding that way, both outwardly and inwardly. Only God can do that work in you. Now, hey, don't misunderstand me. It's a good thing to decide not to drop the F-bomb anymore. So go ahead and make that decision. Go ahead. That's a good decision. I think I'm going to stop using that kind of language. It's not consistent with my relationship with God. That, that is a good, that, that's a good decision to make. But as you make that decision, understand, it's only the power and the spirit of God that lives in you that will enable you to follow through. It's an inside job. So yeah, the world system, man, is just constantly tempting us and taunting us and feeding us the lie, the lie. The lie that God is not God. It's like it was in the garden. You shall be like God. The world feeds us a lie in a lot of different attractive ways. I mean, think about it. Temptation wouldn't be temptation if it wasn't temptation. 
if it wasn't attractive. You know, it's like, okay, what will you be tempted with? Brussels sprouts? Like, who the heck is tempted by Brussels sprouts? I don't even, even if you like them. If I put candy out and Brussels sprouts, most likely, I mean, I mean, choose, just choose the candy. That's the temptation. Brussels sprouts are just nasty. Just leave them alone. I mean, for those of you that are on a diet, Brussels sprouts, I mean, come on, you're going to, like, whatever your favorite food is, that's going to be the temptation. Not something like dirt. Not if I put dirt on the table. Here's dinner. Dirt or, you know, whatever you're trying to stop eating, Twinkies or whatever. It's like, hmm, oh, I really want the dirt. I really want the dirt. I really, but I think I'll settle for the Twinkies. It doesn't work that way. And that's how the world is. That's why you'll see, and you got to be real careful not to judge people. Because when you find a brother or sister that falls into sin and your first response is, that would never, I would never do that. You probably wouldn't. That's why it didn't tempt you. Something else will get you. While you're, you know, the Bible says be careful. You know, you think too highly of yourself. Take heed lest you fall. Be careful. Because yeah, that brother is tempted by that situation, but it's not a problem for you. Believe me, the problem for you, a temptation will make its way. So you got to be careful not to judge another brother. You go, well, I would never do that. First of all, don't use the word never. Be careful with the word never. Be careful. But even then, be careful not to judge a brother. I think, you know, the best thing to do when you see a brother fall, listen, let me just read it to you. The best thing to do is right here where we've been given this instruction in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 1. It says, brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. So the world, the flesh, and the devil, those are, those, that's the relentless Philistine enemy in our lives. I haven't met a Philistine lately. They have no Philistines has come to attack us. But the world, the flesh, and the devil, they're always there. So, verse 13, and back in 1 Samuel. And verse 12, then Samuel took a stone. Let me pick back up to verse 12. Then Samuel took a stone, set it up between Mizpah and Shen, and called its name Ebenezer, saying, thus far the Lord has helped us. So the Philistines were subdued and they did not come anymore into the territory of Israel and the hand of the Lord was against the Philistine all the days of Samuel. Then the cities which the Philistines had taken from Israel were restored to Israel from Ekron to Gath and Israel recovered its territory from the hands of the Philistines and there was peace between Israel and the Amorites. That's what God can do. He can restore to you what was been stolen from you, what's been ripped off from you, what's been taken from you, and also bring peace with your enemies. It says Samuel judged, verse 15, uh, Israel all the days of his life. He went year to year on a circuit to Bethel, Gilgal, and Mizpah, and judged Israel in all those places. But he always returned to Ramah, for his home was there. There he judged Israel, and there he built an altar to the Lord. The enemy pursues, but victory belongs to the Lord. Going back a couple chapters, we see that it was at Ebenezer 20 years earlier that the Philistines won. 30,000 people were killed in Ebenezer. And yet now in the same place of great defeat, they have great victory. What, what's the difference? What's the difference between then and now? Now, when they went out 20 years earlier and were defeated, you'll notice a careful study will see they went out, with, with, they went out without praying. 
They went out without seeking the guidance and the help of God. They went out in their own strength and in their own power, and the result, they were completely defeated and humiliated. Now they go out relying upon God. Were they fearful? Sure. But they were also repentant and humble. And they also listened to their judge, Samuel, that said, get rid of the idolatry. And yeah, because they knew they, their, they knew that they were weak, they knew in their humanity that they needed God in their life, it put them in a great place of strength. They're trusting in God. They went out with prayer. They went out with sacrifice. And now God delivers the enemy into their hands. It's true. I mean, how many times, are you, are we, as we're struggling against the flesh and the enemy, do we seek to go out in our own strength? I'm not going to ask for hands. But it's so common. We, only, we go out in our own strength and our own wisdom only to be defeated and wiped out. Because I don't have the power, and neither do you, to resist the temptations of the flesh in my own strength. I don't have the power. I can't take it on. I can't stand in the years that I've been a believer and use that as a place of strength in my life. No. I need the strength of God and his help. I need to be in a place of humility, not pride. I need to be relying upon God if I'm going to experience victory. Abiding in Jesus, according to John 15. When there's that acknowledgement of God and the work of God will always lead you to the worship of God. So God has brought such great victory that they've raised the stone up in verse 12, the Ebenezer stone. They called its name Ebenezer, saying, thus far the Lord has helped us. They set up a stone between Mizpah and Shen in this very area. And this is, they're saying, this is a monument to what God has done. It's acknowledging that God's hand is in the victory. Thus far the Lord has helped us. And so, you know, from time to time, people ask us why these ugly yellow chairs are up on the stage. Do you see these? Probably you asked that. Do you guys ever wonder what these chairs are up here for? You see them all around the building. As a matter of fact, with our servant appreciation, we had, we had everybody sit on them. These are, these are Ebenezer stones for us. Some of you know about them. Some of you remember them. Some of you actually felt their back-breaking pain in your body when I used to teach over an hour in the school. And you would be sitting there wondering, when is he, oh, he going to be done? There's no padding. You guys are all spoiled now. You know, we got the, that big cushion. I don't know, remember how many inches we got, four or five or six. But they told me I could teach for an hour of every inch of foam that we put in those chairs. So... <laughs> You know, you don't have to sit on these. And these are all around the building. I have one in my office. And I would like for one to be in my office forever because we want to, we want to be able to remember where we came from. It's an Ebenezer stone. That there came a point in time when we moved into this building, which, by the way, um, I don't know if you know this, but when we built this building just about right here under the stage in this area of the pulpit, we buried a Bible in the ground. And we put it in there and we prayed over it. Not only that, but we were looking through old pictures and all in this building and all under the carpet are all, all kinds of scriptures that were written because we had a big event here when we moved from the school that you could come in and write, you know, you could graffiti. It was graffiti time as long as it was a scripture. 
And I, you know, so all these walls are saturated with scriptures that people were given. The Bible is buried under because the foundation of the church is the very word of God empowered by the Holy Spirit. And these chairs remind us, at least for those that were here and for those of you that weren't here, they stand as a testimony that when we brought them here, we have this, thus far the Lord has helped us. And everywhere along the way, we want to set up places so that we see thus far the Lord has helped us. God is with us to this point right now. Thus far the Lord is with us. And when we first moved in, when we put the chairs out uh, in the sanctuary, we also put these out to see if anybody would sit in them. And you know what? People sat in them. They wanted to, you know, this is, I sat in the sanctuary because this, everything that's here and everything that God even has for us in the future is all by faith. It's hard to conceive that this was just a plot of dirt when the Lord gave it to us or when we purchased it. It was just dirt. And we were just like, oh man, something's going to be on it one day. Something's going to be on it one day. I hope something's going to be on it one day. We're going to use it. And we would come and we'd mow the lawn and cut the trees. And, and, and then we'd go back on Sundays and sit in these chairs. And then when we came over here, we went to the principal and said, you know what? We want to buy one chair of every color because there's many different colors not just yellow. If your favorite color is yellow, then this is for you. But there's blue, orange, red. They're all over the place around the building. But when you see them, I want you to remember, thus far the Lord has helped us. Thus far. Well, what about the Ebenezer stones in your life? Thus far the Lord has helped us. We can raise the Ebenezer stones in our lives. And as we look at where we're at today, we can say right now in this moment, thus far the Lord has helped us. Thus far. This is how we're here Thus far, by the, the Lord has helped us. This, this is how we've made it. The encouraging thing is that God has not brought us this far. That God has not brought you this far just to drop you and turn his back upon you and just forsake you. He's brought you so far and then now I'm done. No, the Bible says, according to Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, that we're confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Like he's continuing to keep us from step, step of faith after step of faith after step of faith. Who would have wondered that one day, you know, we didn't want these chairs, but then one day God said, put a desire in our heart, you know, you do want them because they're going to be a testimony of my faithfulness. Don't ever forget where you came from because thus far God has helped us. I mean, what, what do you have in your life? Thus far God has helped you. Thus far, what have you marked? And this is the stone. Maybe you need to get a, a stone, just a specific stone, and write on where God, hey, I've been out of work, and now God, this is my stone. God, by faith, this is my stone. You just get a rock and write on it. Say, this is my stone, and your whole house is filled with stones. And somebody comes in and goes, what is the deal? Are you a rock collector? No, I'm not a rock collector. These are testimonies of the faithfulness of my God. You want to read some of them? This is the story of my life. This is my Ebenezer stone. Thus far, God has helped us. Thus far. In Psalm 138, verse 8, it says, The Lord will perfect that which concerns me. He didn't bring you to this point just to dump you. Just to go up. And I brought you halfway. You're on your own. No, no, no. Although sometimes we feel that way. Sometimes we're just like wondered, God, what happened? Where are you? That's why you got to look back on an Ebenezer stone. Thus far, the Lord has helped me. Thus far. Thus far, he's with me.
Hey, thanks for listening to Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. We're going and growing through a study of 1 Samuel right now, and you can hear this message again online at AboundingGraceRadio.com or listen through our app. Search for Ed Taylor in the App Store or Google Play. Maybe you're looking for a good book to go through. Well, here in the month of February, we picked out an excellent one written by Warren Wearsby. It ties in quite nicely to our current study, too. It's called On Being a Servant. You know, sometimes we lose sight of what ministry and service is all about as we get overwhelmed by the pressures and needs that surround us. Be encouraged and strengthened by the wisdom that Warren Wiersbe shares in this easy-to-read book. We'll send you a copy when you support Abounding Grace with a gift of $25 or more. Just call and ask for On Being a Servant of God. Our number is 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-30-GRACE. Abounding Grace is made possible through the generous support of our listeners. And as we continue to deliver God's Word one verse at a time, we're looking to our listeners for help. Together, we can reach people with the love and truth of Christ and make a difference in these last days. To make a secure donation, drop by AboundingGraceRadio.com or call 877-30-GRACE. Well, next time on Abounding Grace, we'll continue Pastor Ed Taylor's study of 1 Samuel. Thank you for listening today, and we'll look for you tomorrow as we open the Word together in search of God's abounding grace. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado, here in Aurora.